Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Anarchy is an evil, and the occasion of many calamities, the source of disorder and confusion. For if you take away a leader from a chorus, the chorus will not be in tune and in order. And if from a phalanx of an army, you remove the commander, the movements of the troops no longer be made in time and order. And if from a ship you take away the helmsman, you will sink the vessel. So too, if from a flock you remove the shepherd, you have overthrown and destroyed all. Thus says St. John Chrysostom. Christianity is not a choose-your-own-adventure book. Maybe you remember those from your childhood, if you're of a certain age, I guess. I don't know if they still have choose-your-own-adventure books. (coughs) The idea, if you don't know what a choose-your-own-adventure book, is that it's not like a regular book, where you read from the beginning, and you work through chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, but you get to skip around. You get to choose You get choices, and then you get to move around the book. Usually that means ending up with different endings. But this is not what Christianity and what scriptures reveal to us. This is against the grain, as it were. Because in our surrounding culture, and by mean surrounding culture, I kind of mean specifically in East Tennessee, maybe the Southeast as well, you have... Well, you didn't even see this a few years ago with a YouTube video about, I don't believe in religion, I don't really believe in Christianity, I just believe in a personal relationship with Jesus. Where the church is often denigrated because, you know, the church is one thing, but what really matters above all else is just that personal relationship. The explosion, there's obvious connection between this and then the explosion of self-appointed pastors, house churches, and it's almost like, uh, you know the one church as you're coming over Solway? How many signs have changed over the past since I've been here three and a half years? I think it's changed three or four times. This loss of a biblical view of church leadership and governance, it's anarchy. It brings disorder, confusion, many calamities because you've taken the choir director away you've taken the commander away you've taken the helmsman away you've taken the shepherd away and as saint john chrysostom says all is overthrown and destroyed this sunday we commemorate the three hierarchs we of course have had many hierarchs in the orthodox church But the church has a special love and devotion for these particular hierarchs. St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory the Theologian, and St. John Chrysostom. At Vespers last night, we read two passages from the book of Deuteronomy, which is a fascinating book. Excuse me, sinuses. What is, what is the book of Deuteronomy? Because we don't often read from the book of Deuteronomy 
at our Old Testament readings at Great Vespers. The book of Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law. You have Moses, you can picture him standing on a mountain, looking over the promised land, what they had been promised way back to Abraham, their forefather. And they have been through the desert. They have received the law. They have tested God. They have learned. They have suffered. They have won battles. And here they are, ready, poised to enter the promised land. So Moses, as a good shepherd, brings the people together. And Deuteronomy, at its core, is basically shaped around three sermons of Moses, where he recapitulates at the beginning of Deuteronomy their story, their exodus from the land of Egypt, the freedom that God had brought them to, the law of God that was given to them, All of these sermons were to bring Israel into a right understanding of the covenant God had made with them. This is why in the last sermon, Providence would have it, that I ended with Deuteronomy 6, because Moses, and knowing how you're going to instill the law, to instill the obedience of God's people, was to tell households and the heads of households, This has got to be what you live, eat, breathe as you move in and out of your homes, as you sit. This is what is on your lips. The end of the book of Deuteronomy is kind of culmination. This is like if you think of a covenant as a treaty, you have the outlining of the blessings. If you are to follow God, if you are to heed his commandments, and stick to the path of righteousness, these are the blessings that flow. However, as they had seen in their sojourn in the desert, there are curses too. For those who stray from the path of righteousness, the very land itself will revolt. In order to enter into that promised land and keep the blessing of the Lord, Moses asked God, to help give him leaders and shepherds to help guide the people. The epistle assigned for the three hierarchs starts with this verse. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. I'm going to break down this verse into three separate parts so that we can talk about the three hierarchs. The first, remember those who rule over you. If you have spent some time in your prayer book, you are familiar that at one point in the prayer book and multiple points in the prayer book, you pray for your spiritual father and you pray for your bishop. This is then, of course, reiterated throughout our services, we always pray for our hierarch, our primate, Metropolitan Tikon, and our bishop, Archbishop Alexander. This is part and parcel of what it means to be orthodox, to remember those who rule over you. 
Now, of course, this rule is not a tyrannical rule. This rule is shepherd rule. This rule is something that brings unity, that brings focus, that brings, for us, obedience and a strengthening obedience. In the Traparian that we sing to the three hierarchs, we say, let us who love their words come together. Now this presents a challenge, or rather, as any challenges, if you want to spin it a different way, it's an opportunity. Those who love their words come together. This means knowing the words of St. John, St. Basil, St. Gregory. In many ways, the church has already given this to us. For what are the words that are on our lips in just a few moments at the anaphora, but the words of St. John Chrysostom as we offer up the body and blood? Or as we come, as Lent is coming, St. Basil's liturgy and his anaphora. But this also means we have access to many of the writings of these three hierarchs, to St. Basil, to St. John, and to St. Gregory. To love their words is to remember them and their rule in your life. This is not a distant rule, and it's something that is a challenge. I don't, this isn't as much of an opportunity, but this is a specific challenge for us in America because we have gigantic dioceses. But we can always submit ourselves as our fathers and mothers in the past have to the rule of those who have gone forth before us, those enshrined before us in the church, in the memory of the church as saints. The opportunity to delve into the words of St. John, St. Basil, and St. Gregory is an opportunity to move beyond what I call meme orthodoxy. I'm sure you've seen, right, some quote. In fact, last night I thought I'd found, I remembered a quote attributed to St. John Chrysostom. I looked it up, and lo and behold, I can't find it anywhere in English translated. It's a wonderful quote, and I was going to end the sermon with this quote. But then I realized if I use this quote... I'm undermining my direction to move past meme orthodoxy. (laughs) Memes can be nice. They can be funny. They can be inspiring. But it is in no way a substitute for actually knowing what the fathers teach. It's like inspirational little bits with a nice holy picture. Great. You have to move beyond that to learn the depth of Orthodox theology, how the fathers interpret scripture. This is how you gain the mind of the church. This is how you remember those who rule, how, who they shepherd, how they shape your life. This does not mean you need a doctorate in patristics and studying the church fathers. It doesn't mean that you need to go to seminary and do an MDiv thesis and think that you've established that you know more than you probably actually do. (laughs) The mind of the church is something that is found in a local parish and the sharing and coming to understand what the practice of orthodoxy is. 
the services of the church. But let's not forget, it is also, if you read the Holy Fathers, they talk about reading the Holy Fathers. You have St. Simeon, New Theologian, where he encourages his brothers. He said, sell everything that you have, whatever it takes, go and get the book by St. Mark the Ascetic. Because you need this. And I'll give an aside. If the three hierarchs seem daunting, you can still pick it up and try. Because they're not as hard as you might think. Don't psych yourself up. Take some time. Choose a small work or a small letter or a small homily. St. Basil, St. Gregory. Well, let's put St. Gregory at the end. St. Basil and St. John, you can approach and read because they had to do exactly what I'm doing. Expound from scripture and teach. Point number two. These are those who've spoken the word of God. The church, as we like to say, is a hospital. A place for the healing of our wounds, of our sins, and our passions. This is where we come to be healed, to become holy, to encounter God, and to move closer to him. But what is implied in the image or the metaphor of a church as a hospital? That means that you have a doctor, or maybe a nurse practitioner, <laughs> if you can't get a doctor. But still, you go, because you've got something going on, like your sinuses, something, and you need to go, you need to have them check you out, run some tests, Maybe give you some advice. Maybe give you a prescription. Maybe give you a strong word. Like, hey, you need to lose some weight. Hey, how is your eating habits? What's going on? Are you stressed out all the time? And, like most of us, the doctor says something and we, it goes in one ear and out the other. But the church as a hospital means there is a doctor present. This is very clear in the writings of St. Gregory, St. Basil, and St. John, that this pastoral responsibility resides in the priesthood. So that means actually submitting to counsel from the priest, this one who speaks the word of God to you, by engaging not just in confession, which is one level, but in pastoral conversations about particular challenges, things, if they're intellectual challenges, theological challenges, to down to what should a prayer rule look like for me and my family. By seeking aid with these struggles for your local priest, your confessor, down to even the fathers of the church. So, for example, struggling with Depression. St. John's letters to St. Olympia are incredibly helpful. If you are struggling with sin and just feel it is a habit that you cannot kick, St. John's two letters to Theodore on one who has fallen, just the first paragraph, I almost copy and pasted it and I said, no, it's too much text. But it is beautiful. These words... They bring alive our mind and our heart. In submitting to doctor's advice, 
that different, they are going to use different methods and prescriptions. Like sometimes they might say, okay, tired of giving you prescriptions. You need to change your life. You've got to change the things that you do. And that also means that you might not like the word from the doctor. But it is the pastoral responsibility incumbent upon those who speak the word of God to speak a hard word, to use a word that we don't use very often, but is in scripture, to sometimes receive a rebuke. This is exactly what our Lord did today in the gospel, right? You have a woman who wants healing and he's pushing her off. He's saying things. And I've said in sermons in the past, this is all for the pedagogy. This is all teaching us and her putting up a barrier saying, are you, do you really want this? Her, Jesus calling her a dog was not him just being flippant, derogatory, sarcastic, you know, whatever. What he was doing is teaching those who are present and her to strive. But that is a hard word. The third point, as we consider those who rule over us, we look to their faith, we follow their faith, and we consider the outcome of their conduct. St. John Chrysostom, in talking about this, hits at something that we've all, at some point in church life, struggled with. The priest or the bishop says very true things. But then I look at their life and I go, scratch my head. Doesn't seem to compute. There's something off here. St. John Chrysostom says, there is still respect for the office. There is still obedience to the office, even if they are not living up to the high calling. If they teach the faith correctly, if they are not teaching the faith correctly and their conduct follows then we have a problem on our hands. But you can see doctrine and the praxis or the living out of the faith, they are connected. And it's especially in the lives of the three hierarchs and their teachings that we see how these go hand in hand. We sing that the three hierarchs have illumined the entire world with the rays of divine doctrines. Their sweetly flowing rivers of wisdom who with divine knowledge have watered all of creation with clear streams to become conversant with the holy fathers the mind in which they come to holy scripture and submit to it is to help you as the epistle says later not be carried away with various and strange doctrines well the doctrines that are being talked about specifically there in hebrews are all about what you eat or don't eat and how you're supposed to eat it So even something simple as what you eat all the way to the depths of the Trinity. If one is not grounded oneself in the doctrines of Scripture and the Holy Fathers, one can easily turn away, be tricked, be deceived, and brought down a path that you don't want to go down. There's a story in the early life of St. John Chrysostom. He was very zealous And he went out into the desert around Antioch and he fasted. And by fast, I don't mean that he had what we call fasting, which is where we try to take meat and dairy out. It was a step beyond that. So much so, his zeal 
without some knowledge, as he later realized, he hurt himself. He fasted so much that he physically hurt himself. Something he had to live with for the rest of his life. In the writings of St. John Chrysostom, when he talks about fasting, you'll notice he does not encourage intense fasting like he did when he was in his zealous youth. He encourages a spiritual fast. He says, follow the fast, but you must do it with wisdom. You must do it in obedience to someone who can guide you. Because in the Orthodox Church, we have what the fathers talk about, the royal path, where right faith and right practice meet together. And this is the middle But not middle, because you typically, like in politics, and when we say middle, that might mean they're kind of lukewarm. They haven't really decided. They're not on a side. They haven't hardened. They're kind of wishy-washy. When the fathers talk about the royal path of orthodoxy, they're talking about keeping the tension. So there's a temptation to become slack, lazy, and inattentive in the spiritual life, and then justify it. On the other end, there's the temptation to become brittle or taut. If you think of it like a rope, right? It's slack. It's not going to do what you want it to do. But if also, if you put so much pressure and weight on it, it's likely to snap. You can also, in this other extreme of being brittle, you become overly busy doing pious things, but you're not actually paying attention to God. You're inattentive. And you don't just typically justify, you turn to self-justification and condemnation of others. The royal path, the mind of the church, does not lose the tension between stretching, working towards God. And reading the three hierarchs, you will be immersed in this mind because they will challenge you. But they will challenge you to a path of humility, self-sacrifice, tears of compunction, prayer for the world, the invigorating of your desire to repent and to turn to God, the newness of coming again to your passions that you are sick and tired of, but by the power of the cross and the intervention of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome. This is a feast of the three divinely ordained rulers, the hierarchs, those who can minister and pastor to us even now. Their words spark conviction and repentance. Their teachings about the faith illumine us and bring us closer to divinity. They stand like Moses, calling us to ever renew our covenant with God, showing us the path of blessings and the path that leads to our destruction. It reminds us specifically of our covenant of, that we received in baptism and were sealed with in holy chrism. We are not our own, flapping about in the wind. Anarchy is not the life of the church. We stand beneath these great men of God in obedience and reverence because we stand looking as Moses with these three before us, looking into the promised land, worn out by the struggle of the desert, but knowing that the path forward, while it may be a struggle with the three hierarchs, their examples, their writings, their prayers, 
that we know that God is with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.